Dan, take it away, please. Yeah, I'll get started. So we have a comedian in today that I'm a massive fan of. Me too. Yeah, and it's uh, it's hard to fact check this, but I believe it's the first guest that we've had in who has one testicle. Michael Schaefer, welcome <laughs> to the show. I'm, I'm happy to be the first one. That's a, <laughs> suck shit, Nick Kappa, you piece of shit. <laughs> People don't know Nick Kappa is also a very funny comedian who yes, lost the testicle, is. but um, I appreciate that. You haven't been checking people's genitals? No, no, yeah. actually Cupping no. people? Yeah. Yeah, no. you haven't just, just been doing a quick little... <laughs> Sorry, girl, welcome to the podcast. I know it's a weird way to start, but before we begin, I'm going to need a fill around down there. I'm sorry. We don't have a lot of repeat guests on this podcast for some reason. We should reason. do tests at the door, Dan, <laughs> just before they enter it. you got to start testing. Yeah. yeah. That's a good idea. You cannot trust these comedians with two testicles. I don't trust them. Yeah. What if you find three? Oh, mate, that'll be... That'll be That's weird. a great conversation starter, yeah. dude. First person with three testicles. I want to... Tell me when you've met the first comedian with three testicles. I will. I'll get back to you on that. Yeah. I hope to meet them one day. Oh, it'll be uncomfortable. Three testicles? Three testicles would be uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, two testicles is uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're bad enough. Hey? And I know. I've gone from two to one. I'm like, this is so much better. How was it, though? Is it, was it weird, uh, like, in the beginning? Because, you know what? I just got a dental filling recently. Okay. And it's not <laughs> I a, love the connection, yeah. It's not a part of me yet. Uh, it's still settling. It's foreign to me. Oh. It's like someone's living with me now. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, I mean, it's almost the opposite. You've had yeah. something added to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, I've had something sorry, taken yeah. from me. But, yeah, I, yeah I, I get your point. It's <laughs> like. Yeah. It is a, a change to the body. Yeah. I you don't really notice it that much, just because I don't know. I I mm. just think like you know you look at a ball sack. I don't know about you, but when you're looking mm. at a ball sack, I don't know. It's like okay, sometimes you could look at it. You could look at a single testicle ball sack and think, oh, there, there could be two in there. You don't yeah. know. Oh yeah, you can't tell it by looking at it at least. Yeah, I think just looking at it, you, you can't tell. Which is why, again, mm. if you guys are going to start implementing this rule <laughs> yeah. about we, guests on yeah, the podcast, we, <laughs> I would say don't just do a visual check. You're going to have to go and feel down there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a quick little cup. Yeah. Quick little cup and like, yep, check. So so why do you have one testicle then? Was it a, was it a vanity thing or? Uh, I was just, I just wanted to try something new <laughs> okay. and it was just getting on my nerves. I wanted to lose a bit of weight. Um, no, I had testicular cancer. Yes. This was uh, back in 2017. I got diagnosed. Yeah, I had it taken out in 20, end of 2017. So yeah, lost it. I don't know who had, I think they get rid of it. I think they just throw it in the bin or something. I don't know. They don't, they don't keep it in a little uh, jar and. I don't give know. It to you afterwards? I, I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't been given it. This is very funny though in Jewish culture. I think about this a lot because I'm a big old Jew. And in Jewish culture, uh, you're meant to have the whole body buried together like mm. at the end. That's what's yeah. meant to happen. And uh, I don't know if like when I die, there'll be like a, a coffin for me and then someone just brings out <laughs> a little, a little mini coffin. <laughs> Just like a little square, Tiny. you know, like a ring box. Yeah, well, I was going to say like a ring box and be like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a part of it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, when like you propose, you get down, you open the box and there's the ring. Like, like, I imagine there's going to be someone who gets down there, opens the box. Everyone's like, is someone proposing? Oh, no, that's his testicle. And they just take that and pop that in the grave and pour the dirt on. That could happen. It so potentially could. It could be a fun uh, funeral if anyone wants to come along. <laughs> does that work? Like, you know how you put your tooth under your pillow? Does that work with dirt? <laughs> As in like, did I? Yeah. That's actually that's such a great question. Because with like the tooth fairy, you lose a tooth, tooth. and then uh, the tooth fairy you get money. comes in in the middle of the night yeah. and pops like a couple dollars under yeah. your pillow. That's a testicle. <laughs> I'm nothing. 
<laughs> I reckon that that's what they should do. Yeah. They should like take his testicle, but then like a few days later, you find like a two dollar coin and you scrote it, and you're like, oh, yes. <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't all bad. <laughs> it wasn't all bad. Yeah. No, I just have to get it out. <laughs> How do I get this out? Do I have to pee it out? Yeah. Anyway, that would be tricky. But I guess it would be nice if I think if I were a doctor, I would do that mm. every now and again for a patient. <laughs> just be like, hey, mate, I know you didn't want the prosthetic, but I've popped something else down there for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, I left something in there. Shit. <laughs> You're gonna hate going through metal detectors uh, for the rest of your life. Yeah, jeez. Imagine, imagine, imagine explaining it to TSA's like, oh shit. I've got a coin in my testes, guys. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you're on the no-fly yeah, list, but no I'm really list. sorry. <laughs> okay. Go on. So you you were saying you had testicular cancer. So mm. how how did you find that out? I well, so my ball was getting bigger, and I was. Kind of feeling sick. I had a lot of symptoms, but I didn't really put them together. Mm-hmm. So I had like back pain for a while. I had just, I was feeling run down for like months and my testicles was getting bigger, which was the main thing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I was like, I oh, will go to a doctor and mention it to my GP. And yeah. And so he was like, oh, okay, this doesn't, I could tell straight away that he was like, this is not good. So yeah, he sent me for an ultrasound and a blood test and it was just kind of confirmed pretty much straight away. So yeah, they operate pretty quick. What, what was going through your mind when you got that diagnosis? It's very surreal. I think the main thing I was thinking about was like, how do I tell this to my partner at the time, Amanda? Mm. And how do I tell this to my parents as well? Because they were actually on holiday in Europe. You know, it was a trip they'd been you know planning for, for a long time. And I was thinking, oh, God, I got to tell them and then they're going to have to fly home. And so I actually kind of delayed telling them for a few days because mm. I, I didn't want them to to worry and everything. But that's the main thing that I was thinking about was just, okay, how do I tell my family and my partner mm. in a manner that, you know, makes it makes them not freak out? That was kind of the first thing that I was thinking mm. about. What, what were you doing at the time? Were you, you, would, were you doing comedy full-time or were you, did you have another job as well during all this? Yeah, it was kind of pretty much full-time. Like I was writing for the project on Channel 10, mm. so I was writing there like four or five days a week. Actually, I think five days a week. And I was also, you know, starting to just do my own shows and solo mm. shows and things like that. So, yeah, it was pretty busy. I think that's why I just didn't go to the doctor for a while because I was like, nah, I'm too busy like doing comedy mm. and I was too engrossed in it to really like, you know, even think about my health. So, yeah, I was obviously very dumb, but um, that's kind of where I was, yeah, when I was like 26. What what sort of an impact does that make, That does that create on on your career then what does it have so what are the ripple effects I, I suppose of going through something like testicular cancer and then chemo yeah so what, how does it affect like yeah like how, how does it affect and, the career how does it affect the personal life how, how does it affect all what, what are the ripple effects from from this i mean yeah there's quite a lot i mean obviously it affects every aspect of my life um in terms of my relationships it's kind of probably strengthened a lot of my relationships i mean mm-hmm. um you know really put me and my partner, you know, through some really hard times and you really test that relationship out. And uh, we came out of it really, really strong and really solid. And, you know, now we're married, which I guess is nice. Um, but I, I think that, so it's a really weird thing. We're married, which is nice. But, um, <laughs> no, the reason why I just say it, because I, I remember speaking yeah. to another cancer survivor who got the diagnosis and I think they, he had been with his wife, I think they had a kid or something. Mm. Like obviously, you know, a very long-term relationship. And then he got cancer and was like, this isn't, um, I don't mm. want I don't want this relationship 
anymore. And just because mm. like th- that diagnosis just forced him to like, you know, reflect on everything that he, he was doing in his life and it made him realise, you know, life is short. You just got to kind of, you know, mm. be with the person you want to be with mm. and do the thing you want to do. For me it was kind of different just because like, you know, I was kind of with the right person and I was doing the thing that I wanted to do, which was comedy. Mm. I remember when I got the diagnosis I was thinking like, because I could have been a lawyer, like I was meant to, yeah. I got, you know, I had a law degree and um, I've been, I'm qualified as a lawyer technically. I don't ask me for legal <laughs> advice but I'm technically a lawyer. <laughs> And, um, you know, a lot of people go through cancer and they're like, oh, I'm going to finally, now life is short, I'm going to pursue my dream and, you know, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of like already doing the thing that I want to do. So, I mean, in that respect, I didn't have like these huge monumental changes mm-hmm. to just my life. Like I felt like I was kind of on the right track mm-hmm. and, and doing the things that I wanted to do. So it didn't affect things too much um, in that respect. I guess my, to answer your question, no, like life changing, mm. you know, events happened. Or I didn't make any life changing choices yeah. afterwards. Mm. Yeah, yeah, which I think is a good sign that I was kind of just, you know, people are like you got to live every day like it's your last. I was like, I was kind of already just already doing, doing that. I think yeah. you know. Did it reinforce? Did that experience reinforce what you were doing? Like, I'm just gonna do this regardless now, or you know, does it, did that reinforce what you, what you were already doing, or did that make did, did that make no difference at all? Almost not a difference, to be honest. I mean, uh, I, I think probably going through that experience maybe better at comedy. Mm-hmm. It gave me something, you know, interesting obviously to talk about. It forced me to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. things that are dark and yeah. and tough to hear. And I've kind of taken that, you know, now it's a um, other topics that I approach in, in stand-up. So mm-hmm. I think that being forced to talk about cancer and be funny about it has like almost given me the confidence mm. to be like, okay, well, if I can talk about cancer and be funny, I can talk about other tough topics. Like yeah. I can talk about racism and I can talk about anti-Semitism or the, the Holocaust. Like I just, nothing, no topic seems too difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every All topics mm. now seem pretty uh, manageable on stage mm. once you've kind of talked about your own mortality and all that yeah. so if nothing else cancer made you a better comedian yeah 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. i mean and again that's what i said all yeah. these young comics they're always asking for advice and i say get cancer that's always <laughs> a good option yeah. if you can start smoking now stop vaping and start, start smoking. smoking all these pussies doing comedy now they're all vaping and they smell like blueberry it's pathetic yeah. go outside have a real Just dart get, get some emphysema and some life experience that's what yeah. i'm saying to these go young OG. comedians go og go og stop being such bloody pussies so that's kind of the main message <laughs> so, i think yeah, i'd like so to if, so if anyone can take any advice well, from from this podcast it's, yeah. it's that. Yeah. i'm Starts also an ambassador for marlborough light now so <laughs> oh, i wow. hope that's okay <laughs> if we just throw in a few a shameless plug yeah just a few sponsors <laughs> for you know camel cigarettes and um, emphysema while you were going through the experience did did you Oh, fuck, I lost my point. I was going to ask such it a... It sounded so like... <laughs> it was very you were loading up. Something. I was loading yeah. up. I was like, this Shit. is going to be the most poignant question it was, I've ever it received. Was, trust me. The way you kind of started, <laughs> I know. you paused, you exhaled. And I was like, holy shit, this is about to... Rock my world. I just I just got stuck at Marlboro's. Like fuck, I want to smoke now. <laughs> Man, I honestly, I just had a, such a good. Uh, well, this guy's vape, vaping. Uh, are you a vapor? Uh, like, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, just just out of FOMO and just with the with friends, and I just like that. But yeah, um, I'm not a much a big drinker. Okay. Uh, yes, for sure, but not a big drinker. Interesting. And why do you, but don't drink? 
Um, I guess my why do you don't drink? It's not that I don't drink. Every time I'm out with Dan, Dan doesn't smoke, so I'm, I'm having a beer. I'm yeah. having a nice cheeky beer. But uh, if if there was two things, so two things out there, I'll pick pick up smokes. Oh yeah, hundred yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, yeah, have you have you tried? Have you experienced with the weed before? Um, when I went to Amsterdam, this was like maybe ten years ago or so. I've only had weed once and yeah. went to Amsterdam. And I was like, well, I'm here. It's it's cultural. Mm. I was there with my, my partner and also a couple of friends. And we were like, well, let's go get um, a brownie. So we went to mm. you know, one of the cafes and we got a brownie. And no one explained to us <laughs> how much you meant to eat and what what the ex- like what's going to happen. Yeah. We, it was all it was our first time for all of us, like you know, ingesting weight. My my partner Amanda, who's now my wife, she did not have it. She was like, "This is disgusting. I will never partake." And she was just like, <laughs> felt so sorry for it because she was the only like you know sober person in this group yeah. of four people. And when I say four people who were like high, I mean we were so fucking high. Like I've only been high once, but I feel like yeah, I've been high. I've, I've hit a I've hit a peak. I don't think I'll get more high because we we ate the brownie and you meant to, they were like oh only you know a quarter or a half or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we did that and then we we're like this is weird. Like, I haven't felt anything and obviously that's because you know classic. It's because it hasn't gone to your system yet because it has to be digested. Whereas yeah, when you smoke, yeah. you feel straight away. But yeah. So we're like, okay, well, obviously it's a very weak, you know, brownie or we're all just, you know, super tolerant of this drug we've never had before. So we're like, fuck it, we'll just finish our, finish the brownie. And so we all finished our individual brownies and God, we were so, so high. And then we were just, we just had to eat noodles. Like we were just like, we need noodles. Just, you just munch? Yeah, so we just went and got so much noodles and then I reckon from the time where we ate the brownie to the time we went to bed was like maybe 30 minutes in total. Like we were just like, well, now wow. we have to go to bed. So we all went to bed and then and at 2 o'clock in the morning my partner woke me up because she was crying because she was very upset because she was like, you know, you're all high. You're all just going to be high in Amsterdam <laughs> for the next week and I'm the only one that's not high. This is bullshit. She was so upset because she was kind of like left out and I'm so high and I'm like, no, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And all I remember is that my friend Nathan, we were sharing the room, my friend Nathan just like happened to wake up at that time to use the bathroom and he just got up and he walked past us and then he just fell face first on the floor Ooh. and I was like, we're all going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. <laughs> and then I just fell back. <laughs> anyway, so to answer your question, yeah, I've had, uh, I've had pe- weed once. People don't realize this, that when you smoke it, you just get it a direct hit. Mm. But if you eat it, it's processed by your liver. So it's three times more potent than smoking it. Shit, really? Yes. I mean, yeah, that, so, that checks out. It, it <laughs> also, the next day I was, you know, I didn't realize you also get really paranoid. Also oh, really yeah, that comes with it, yes. The next day I was like, we were doing like this walking tour the next day and I was still like probably high or what I don't know, I have a hangover, I don't know what you call it, whatever. Yeah. But I was just so paranoid. I was just like, <laughs> they can see in my eyes that I had weed last night. They can see it. Like they're Looking like the dude, the guy doing the hangover, the guy doing the the tour was obviously high. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I was just like so neurotic. I was like, oh my god, they know that I took weed last night. I'm going to jail. I can't believe it. That's why alcohol seems so much more straightforward. Uh, I don't know. You know what you're getting yourself into when you're drinking. I think. Yeah, I've never been drunk. Uh, Milan. We had Milan on the podcast, and um, oh, he's a famous drinker. Yeah. Yes, he's a, <laughs> yes. a professional. One, one of the best, I believe. He's a professional partier. That's what they're <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he got us fifty percent alcohol, glacier alcohol. What? Uh, what's the drink called? Oh, mate, I it's just, not like absinthe. It's not absinthe. Is oh, thirty-four? Like if I'm not wrong. 
Uh, no, I think Absent yeah. is even more. Even yeah. more than Because, like, gin and vodka are, like, you know, 40 or so. Oh, wow. I think Absinthe might be, like, 70 or something. Oh, jeez. It's basically, like, turpentine. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just methylated spirits. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, that drink has a, had a viscosity of a cough syrup. It was so thick. Oof. And we took shots and we polished the bottle off. And was like it some weird Serbian? He's Serbian, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah it was yeah. it was glacier alcohol uh, liquor. Okay. And mate, uh, I, I think after midway through through that podcast, I don't think how the end night ended. I don't remember anything <laughs> at all. And uh, that's the drunk I've ever been. Yeah, right. And yeah, uh, I mean, everyone says that about Milan. <laughs> yeah, we got I hung Milan, out with Milan. Yeah. I've never been more drunk. We in did my get life. Milan, but it was a very fun podcast. Yeah, so, yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> So let's bring the uh, uh, podcast back down uh, to chemo. Yeah, let's get back into that. <laughs> so oh, wow. Speaking of heavy drugs. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, get, let's get back into chemo. So yeah. what does uh, how does that kick you around? It's pretty uh, rough stuff. Um, I mean, I did like a few different regiments of chemo as well, so I, I kind of can, uh, can attest to how it hits you. I mean, I the best way I could describe it is – you know when you're on like a long-haul flight, let's mm. say you're flying to the UK or something, and um, you've been on the plane for, you know, 24 hours, yeah. and that final two hours you're just like you're so tired, you haven't slept, you know, you feel nauseous, like you just you just feel awful. It's kind of like that but like, you know, much, much worse and obviously mm. over a period of a few days. So that's probably the closest way I can describe it. Um but because like when I was doing the chemo, like it was working and mm. we could see that like the tumor markers in my blood were coming down and we could see the scans were improving. It was kind of like get this shit into me. Mm. I was like, you know, you know, they hook you up intravenously and it was like they give you like a bag of chemo and then they have to give you all these fluids when you do chemo because you can't have the chemo in your body. For too long, it's mm. so toxic. You got to have so many, so much fluids to, to flush it out. So you're constantly peeing as well. So, mm. you know, I get like a bag of chemo and then like three liters, like a liter of chemo infused, you know, stuff. And then three liters of saline just to like flush it out. And then like another liter of chemo and then another three liters. So, like, you're just getting like, I don't know, you know, liters and liters and liters of fluid just like going through you. But every time they put a bag of chemo up, I was like, let's fucking do it. Let's get through this. Yeah. And I was watching the bag just slowly empty and I was like, let's fucking do it. Like I was just so, um, you know, I mean, not so, I'm not sure if excited is the word, but it felt like a real achievement every mm. time I, I got through a bag of chemo and I was like, good, it's in me. It's, it's doing the thing. What, what can you do while you're going through that process? What can you do? Not a lot. Like, you know, it would be nice. I couldn't even like watch TV or watch like a movie or something because, um, well, when you're doing chemo, this is what I experienced. First of all, you're so nauseous a lot of the times mm. you kind of just need to close your eyes because opening your eyes can just, you know, make you, can trigger mm. you vomiting or vertigo mm. or whatever. And also you don't realise that when you're looking at a screen, it actually does require like, brain power concentration and you, I simply did not have that when I was on like the worst days of chemo so yeah a lot of the times you're kind of in this like weird like drugged out state because I'm not just taking chemo I'm also taking all these other drugs to manage my nausea yeah. and those drugs make you really sleepy really dopey as well mm. so like you know for, for you know a couple of days I'd be pretty like just 
you know, like I knew where I was, but you know, I was like, I would fall asleep for an yeah. hour or two and be like, shit, what, what happened? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of the times you're just sleeping, to be honest, um, which is ideal because you know, then you're not feeling crook. So, you just try to sleep through it as much as possible. You'll listen, I'll listen to a podcast, I guess. Yeah. You could listen to podcasts. That was something I could do. Um, and yeah, just hopefully just have. You know, I had my some, a visitor. You know, with I had someone with me most of the time, which was you know really helpful. So, yeah, but there's not heaps you can you can do. You got to uh, just kind of like ride it out. It just sounds like such a barrage <coughs> of different things all coming to you at once. Just hook hook me up to every single drug, fill me up with every single drug you can to just get through this thing. Yeah, exactly, hundred <laughs> percent. And um, and but it's also like I had to work out. Which drugs were good for me? Which drugs weren't good for yeah. me? So there's like a million. They're called anti-emetics, which is like anti-nausea drugs. There's like a, so many different ones on the market, which is great because like maybe 30 years ago they didn't have these drugs, mm. so people would just like get the chemo and just fucking vomit mm. for five days straight. But um, fortunately for me, I had all these drugs. But you need to work out like which ones work for you. Yeah. So you know, for me, like there was one that I love on Dansantron. It's great. It's mm. like a wafer you put under your tongue. It's like it also like it makes mm. you stop vomiting. It also like puts you to sleep. I was like. Oh, that's good shit and now my wife who's we're going to fly to the uk soon she's like she's a really bad flyer she gets sick and she's like do you have any of your uh chemo drugs that i can take before we get on the plane i'm like yeah babe i got so i got so much left over i got like a pharmacy no joke i've got like so much endone in my house if i could make so much money Money if anyone's listening and they want endo 50 bucks a pill we'll do it we'll do a cashy job we'll hook you up Yeah. yeah 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 so that was my question now i remember Oh, yeah. yeah this is the poignant it. question. Okay. Um, not through chemo, but while you were going through the whole experience, you know how a comedian's mind works. Like when you're in a tough situation or when you're in a situation, you're always thinking about a material, like something I can make funny, funny joke out of. You could pull this out of, you know, make this into a material. Did you ever thought and did you ever had a vision in mind after this is done, I'm going to make the funniest joke out of this? I was definitely, I mean, yeah, great question. Did, Very poignant yeah, question. Thank you, thank I can you. see why you exiled earlier before you had that. <laughs> I did, yes. I had to. Launch that question. Um, yeah, I did think about it. Um, I did think about like obviously material and stuff when mm. I was going through it because like, you know, this is very funny. A lot of this stuff mm. is very funny. Yeah. Losing a testicle is funny. Um, and, you know, the dumb things that people say to you when you're going through treatment, like that's funny. Yeah. So, yeah. The reactions are always funny, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, um, I had a joke about how like, you know, obviously I was, I was bald and, um, you know, I didn't look very good when I was going through chemo. And a friend of mine was like, um, they saw me and like, they didn't know that I had cancer, but they're like, holy shit, you're, you're bald. And I was like, <laughs> no, 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 don't worry. I'm just, I've just got cancer. I'm, I'm, not, I'm bald, fuck. I'd have to kill myself while I was bald. My God, it's not that bad. But um, so, yeah, when that stuff happens, I'm like, well, that's funny. I should, I should take that on stage. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it took me a while, I think, to you know, be comfortable talking about it on stage mm. just because, you know, I was still processing, yeah, processing it's everything that's going through. But probably like after six months after the diagnosis, I was like, okay, let's, you know, I, you know, I wanted to do gigs and I was doing gigs in between rounds of chemo. So I looked like shit. I mean, I felt fine, but I looked like shit. shit you know, yeah. I was pale. I, mm. you know, I'd been through, I'd just been vomiting the last couple of days and, you know, I was bald obviously. And 
Um, but, you know, when I was doing chemo, I would have like, you know, maybe four or five days I was pretty crook and then I'd have like maybe 10 days I was feeling great before the next cycle started. So as in those 10 days I was like getting on stage but I had to address the fact that I, I looked like shit. shit and I was obviously, yeah. it'd be weird if I didn't address it. I'd be like, is that guy dying? Like <laughs> why hasn't he mentioned the fact that he's dying? So, you know, I had to talk about it and, um, yeah, it just took me a few months to kind of get comfortable. Yeah. And there was lot, obviously a lot to draw on for sure. Yeah. What do you were you eager to get on stage? Or like shit, I gotta get on stage and just spit the shit out. I, I was eager to get on stage, not necessarily just to like you know get things out, but it was just more like I just wanted a bit of normalcy in my life. And for mm. me, oh, part true. of yeah. like my normal life was just being on stage, like you know, you know, pretty much every night wherever I could get on stage. So yeah, just being able to do that, I was like, okay, like at least I can live a normal life you know, for like, you know, as normal as possible for the days where like I'm not in hospital doing treatment. Mm. So it was more just to have some normalcy, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Go on then. Do you, <clears throat> when you lose your hair during chemo, do you lose all the hair, including the unwanted lower back hair? Forgive my ignorance. Ah, it, it, <laughs> are you like thinking? Are you thinking like me? I gotta try a bit of chemo. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've been trying this laser. And it's not working. Yeah. The waxing is painful. Yeah. Um, and only so not all your hair because so chemo. I don't understand the exact biology of it, but chemo uh, targets uh, fast growing cells. Mm-hmm. So, and not all of your hair grows fast. Mm. So the hair on your head, yes, does yeah. grow fast. So you'll probably lose that. But like, I don't know, like your chest hair, like doesn't grow mm. very fast. So you probably don't Damn lose it. that. So don't try chemo if you want to lose Back hair in. that's hard to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends how fast growing it is. If your if your back hair is growing real fast, maybe chemo will do the job. Yeah, chemo. But if it's slow growing back hair, it might not do the job. So, yeah, I think it depends. Wow. So, you know what? I think I'm a, I'm actually a fan of your comedy style. and It's a very it, relaxed style of it's comedy, a very I must relaxed say. Style. Yeah. And I'm a fan. Oh, that, okay. That's good to know. I'm a fan that how good you are at controlling the audience. You have a, you have a very good grip of the, of the whole room. Okay. I saw your special and you had a, you had an amazing, you know, there was a, there was a moment when, when the mic wasn't working. And yes, yes, yes. Was that proper improvisation? And you still had like, I could see that you had a great control of the audience and you were, do you notice people uh, and do you take a feedback and then you change something in your set when you see, um, are you actively thinking about that? I mean, yeah, so, well, during, yes, yeah, so we're filming the special and um, the microphone cut out <laughs> at the venue, which, and then afterwards the venue was like, that's yeah. literally never, never happened, happened before. <laughs> uh, that was the most water, you know, crazy time if that's happened. But look, when stuff like that happens in shows and it does, you know, things happen all like yeah, things go wrong you know, all the time in yeah. a show. Like I, th- I always think it's just an opportunity to get, laughs from something that's real and in the moment and it was funny to me how you know when i was just like oh the microphone's out i guess we'll just have to yeah. take it i don't know how i uh, handled like it I was, like, I was like yeah this feels like a bit of a recess like what have you guys been up to yeah. and um the, when the audience the audience knows that it's real yeah. and that it's happening yeah. and that this was clearly not planned and then they're like for the audience it's like oh this is cool like i didn't expect this to happen mm. like this is a new thing so there's there's just opportunities for laughs whenever mm. something 
weird or unexpected to happen. Look, sometimes it just can derail a whole show. Yeah. But I think most of the time in my experience, it's it's always an opportunity. So, and I remember afterwards thinking like, like that got a lot of laughs in the room. Mm. I remember like that was like just me riffing on the microphone was, not working, yeah. was getting big laughs. And then when the microphone started again, I felt this <laughs> sense of disappointment <laughs> in the audience. I'm like, oh, we liked it when <laughs> the microphone wasn't working. Oh, that yeah. was kind of the highlight of yeah. the show really for us. We had a good thing happening here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, it's just so, it's so funny how as a comedian like you spend so long like writing jokes and perfecting them and making them really good and then just the microphone cutting out it kills and you're like what the <laughs> fuck am I even doing up here anymore but um, yeah so that's always an opportunity and I always find that you know if you got, you got to be present look and also the crowd also you've got to have a good crowd you got to yeah, have a crowd 100%. who's like actually like wanting to be there and they're with you and they're like invested in the show. Mm. Crowds don't people who go to comedy do not understand how important they are to a show. Wow. And I and I I don't expect them to understand, yeah. but they are so I, the crowd is 50% of the show. That's mm. 100%. It is a conversation. Comedy is always a conversation. You're not necessarily saying words, but your reaction yeah. whether you're laughing, silent, going ooh, uh, whatever you're doing is a response. You're 50% of the conversation. Mm. And so when you're in a crowd, you've got to react in some yeah. way, whether it's you got to be active mm -hmm. and whether yes. that's laughing, not laughing, whatever it is you got to participate and so you know when uh, something like that happens in the room if the crowd is like giving you something mm. if he's reacting to it you're like okay great we're still in the conversation we're still yeah. doing this and you can actually have fun with it but then of course you know you have nights where the crowd does not want to participate mm. and they might still be enjoying the show but they're just like passively yeah. enjoying the show yeah. and for me you might as well not be there at all because mm. You're not. You're not at all. You're not filling that fifty percent in the yeah. show. You're not giving me anything to react to. Yeah. So yeah, that was when I filmed the show that night. I was lucky that I had a really, really great crowd that were present and wanted to be there. Um, but yeah, I've certainly had shows where like, the crowd's yeah. just like, yeah, we're enjoying this, but we don't want to participate. Mm. And it's like, well, then it's going to be a worse show for yeah. all of us. Yeah. Do you, are you someone who invites a bit of heckling, or do you, are you not a big fan of that? I just don't care either way. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, I'm not going to like invite heckling because I yeah. feel like it's really artificial mm. to be like, heckle me now. Like, <laughs> uh, I just yeah. think, I, I just feel like it always has to be real and present and yeah, it has to just be an organic thing. So, look, if people want to come along and heckle, like, fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like precious. I'm yeah. like, yeah, sure. Like, we'll, and we'll just, I'll deal with that. And that's for me, I just say there's an opportunity to get. Laughs. More laughs. Mm. Um, but, I mean, but then, I mean, there's heckling that obviously is like can be yeah. malicious mm. and can like mm. deliberately derail a show. So that's obviously, you know, not good. But I'm not going to, if somebody heckles me, I'm not going to be like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure, let's just, let's deal with the insane thing you just, mm. you just said. Mm. Have you performed internationally yet, Michael? Yeah, I've done some gigs in uh, the UK and Edinburgh last year, which was a lot of fun. Um, I did start doing comedy, like doing the open mic circuit in Washington, D.C. when mm. I was finishing my law degree over there in 2014. Oh. So that's kind of like where I started. Um, and then you know, I guess I've done like gigs on cruise ships as well, um, which is international. But, I mean, a lot of the times the audience is just Australians anyway. So... Um, don't have a lot of international experience, but um, I'm moving to London in a few weeks, maybe for a year or two, and I'm excited to perform to a new crowd because yeah. I just think you learn a lot from going to different places. Cruise ship comedy, what is that like? It's 
it's it can be great it can be awful it's yeah. just like you know it's real it's real hit and miss mm. um you know the the fun things i like about it are you know first you get to travel and meet a lot of new people and like that's cool like being able to go to you know, like I went to like did a cruise that went through Ireland. I was like, this is cool. I didn't mm. think I'd ever go to Ireland and like Fiji and Numea and I'm like, these are cool places to visit. That's really fun. Um, and they often put you in like a big, you know, theatre yeah. where you're performing in front of like 1,500 people or whatever. And I'm like, that's really cool. I don't get the opportunity to, you know, do an hour in front of 1,500 people that all that often. So that's really, really fun. Then, of course, you know, there's a challenge though because like a lot of the times they're not like, they're not comedy yeah. audiences. Mm, yeah. So, you know, they're on holiday yeah. and they're just like, oh, well, here, it's, here's something that's on. We'll <laughs> yeah, go. We'll yeah. go. And then for them, it's like going to a movie or going yeah. to see a concert, whatever. So, um, you know, they're not necessarily like a very comedy savvy audience the way that if you perform at like the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, you're probably going to be performing mm. to people who go to comedy regularly yeah. and get what stand up is. So, yeah, you really have to like, um, for me, I've noticed like I've got to, re- it's forced me, it forced me to really simplify a lot of my jokes and just like get to the point straight away. Mm. Made me better as a comedian for sure. Mm. Cause I think I used to just take too much time to get to the joke. And when you're on a cruise, you don't have that time. You just have to make them laugh now. Otherwise, you lose them forever. Mm. So I think it's really made me better as a comedian. There is a trap that you can fall into though, which is like if you're just doing cruises and you're only performing to that crowd maybe it can make your your stuff too simple and too mm. broad and too generic. Yeah. So, you know, that can kind of like make you less interesting to listen to when you come back and do, you know, a, a, a comedy festival or something like that. So I, I like to just um, – when I do it, I'm like I'll do a few a year because I want to get the benefit of – getting those, you know, getting the experience of forming in front of big yeah. crowds and learning that, um, getting the experience of like testing out my material in front of a broad cross-section of Australia. And because, you know, because you, you see people, you see comedians who just like only perform in like inner city Melbourne mm-hmm. and, it's, and, and it's like, well, you can tell because the jokes you're making would only work in three suburbs and it's like if you went and did this in front of like a group of people who are from a regional area they'd be like Mm. what the fuck are you talking Mm. about this is so unrelatable so um it i I do like forcing myself to do them because it's it actually forced me to put myself in front of you know real people like a bigger cross-section of the community and if i can like take something that works you know at you know the comics lounge or whatever here Mm. and then and it also works you know, on a cruise ship, I'm like, well, it's probably mm. got broad appeal. So, but yeah, I guess my point is um, there's pros and cons to doing it and I try to do it in a way that I just get the benefits but also don't get sucked into, you know, the negatives that can mm. come from it too. What place or city or country is your favourite to perform? Uh, in Australia, Sydney is, I think, the best mm. city to perform in. Look, you sh- I shouldn't answer this question because, like, now everyone's <laughs> going to be like, fuck you, I'm from Adelaide. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't, but look, I just, I don't see the point in, like, being dishonest here. I'm happy to give you a breakdown of all the different yeah, cities please, in please, Australia yeah. if you want. Please, okay. I'd love that. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, God, this go, so go much trouble. In. Go all in, please. Okay, so <laughs> this is why, okay, let me kind of explain to you how I how I view the cities. I lo- Perth is a lot, I can also, I Love performing in all the cities, mm-hmm. okay? These are just broad yeah. generalizations. Yes. This is not like, don't yes. be like, oh, he's personally talking about so, me. Yeah. If you think I'm personally talking about you, don't come to my shows because you're not fun. <laughs> so, um, okay, so Perth is a lot of Perth audiences are very, very fun. Yeah. I will say this though, they're not the most comedy savvy. So you do have to like uh, keep the jokes like simple, 
let's not let's just get i mean similar to a cruise but like you got to get to the joke straight Mm. away like so but they're a lot of fun like Mm. they come out and they've got energy and they actually want to be out you know what i mean which is great that's that's so good that's Mm. already makes them a good audience right but i do think that like you got to sometimes really think about okay explaining make sure the joke's really clear and Mm. explaining it because they're not necessarily going to put all the pieces together in front of you got to get simply got to get to the point that's how i approach that's how i approach birth adelaide is interesting because i think that in adelaide they tend to be like a bit more conservative or i don't know i know when i perform i just perform on the adelaide fringe quite a bit mm. so whoever's the people who go to the adelaide fringe tend to be uh, a bit more like older a bit more conservative also mm. the crowds are not sadly not very diverse which yeah. is a real indictment i think on the festival mm. that for whatever reason i don't think they're getting a lot of diversity or uh, maybe that the ticket prices are, are so high that you're only getting a certain you know yeah. group of the population i don't know what it is but yeah not very diverse which is frustrating for me i talk a lot about like race and yes. you know stuff in, in my yeah. shows and yeah. then i go and it's just like white people i'm like oh fuck like you guys <laughs> yeah uh, don't want to listen you don't want to laugh at this because you're like oh can we laugh yeah. there's no brown people yeah. around for me to just <laughs> yeah. 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 so i get that a lot in adelaide that there is that sometimes a lot of that tension mm. in the in the room because i'm talking about topics and they're like oh we we're, we're not diverse enough to be able to laugh at this so um sometimes i get that in adelaide again though like they they get the jokes yeah. and, and but you I, i've that i have to deal with that tension in the room melbourne melbourne is interesting because melbourne they're quiet Melbourne's like very comedy savvy everyone gets mm-hmm. stand-up comedy they tend to have been to lots of shows in the past mm. um and they're also incredibly unhappy to be out so <laughs> melbourne people like it's like they come to a show and they're just there to like they're almost like there to critique they're almost yeah. like there to find the Find the flaws. Like yeah. we're we're here to like they look at you like you're a like you're a piece of art, <laughs> and they're trying to like work out, hmm, find the deeper meaning, and always, oh, you know, Melbourne people, you say a joke, and they and that you see them looking around, being like, is are we okay? Is this okay? Am, are we on the right side of history? You know, does this align perfectly with my ideology? So that's that's kind of what Melbourne is. And then the reason why I think Sydney is the best crowd to perform in for me is that they get comedy because they have um, been to lots of shows and whatever. They, there's a lot of comedy in Sydney. They, they understand what stand-up comedy is and they understand that I'm doing jokes. And uh, also very fun and very diverse. Mm. And like when people in Sydney go out, they're like, yeah, we, we want to have fun because it, it's, Sydney life is shit. And <laughs> getting here took us 45 minutes in peak hour traffic just to get here. This better be, we, we want this to be fucking good. So like they're like, let's fucking go. Like, so Sydney people I find kind of quite comedy savvy and on top of that are also um, really happy to be out. Mm. Whereas, um, and so that's why I find they've got like the perfect mix of things people from tasmania and brisbane are like why what about us oh okay <laughs> i haven't performed those, those places as yeah. much okay. tasmania i mean from what i mean I, it's hard to me to talk too much about like hobart or whatever because i've only done a few gigs there i felt it was like similar to adelaide mm. in the yeah. sense of like yeah. a not a huge amount of diversity in mm. the crowd kind of conservative and look i think that actually kind of makes sense because i think a lot of like the younger people in adelaide and hobart 
they tend to move to like Melbourne yeah. and Sydney. So yeah. like the population is just going to be a bit different. So it's going to be skewed towards kind of like older, perhaps more conservative mm. people. And that's not an indictment. I think that's just a reality when mm. you when you do gigs there. And oh, Brisbane is really fun. Brisbane mm. is really, really fun. The, the more north you go in Australia, the more fun the crowds mm. are. Because uh, I went to Cairns and I was like, this is wild. Like these people are the most fun yeah. ever. They're just so excited. Super drunk, but like really fun. Um, Brisbane's very fun. They're, um, they're all, I mean, similar to Perth in the sense oh, of like yeah. really fun, really excited mm. to be out. Sometimes you have to explain jokes or just be really clear and just get to the punchline straight away. Yeah. You know, I mean, the point is like in Melbourne, people are like, well, we want to hear like a story and we want to mm. like connect yeah. with the, we want to show and we want something that's artistic. And <laughs> Brisbane are like, just give us the fucking jokes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and, I, and I really respect that about, about that crowd. I shouldn't be shitting on my Melbourne audience because they're the biggest audience that I have. I love you all. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, but you're a fucking nightmare to perform to and I wish you were better. Yeah. No, that's a joke. I love you, Melbourne. Can we glaze through your origin story a little bit? How did you get to get into comedy and how did you start? Because I have a follow-up question. I want to ask you what was your worst bombing story? <laughs> and so if, if we can just glaze through your origin story and then just like uh, give us your worst bombing story. Well, so my origin story for stand-up? Yes. I guess my origin story is um, I would say when I was in Washington, D.C. and um, I was like, you know, finishing my law degree but I only had like a few hours of um, university mm. every week so I just had so much time to do comedy. So I would just like just go to all the open mics and um, just try jokes and it was super, uh, super challenging because uh, I was very bad at comedy and these rooms are not set up for people to do well in. <laughs> Um, you know, like one time I'm doing a gig and like I'm competing with the the basketball match, you know, that's yeah. that's happening on oh. the TV behind me. And so like <laughs> i got to be yeah. more interesting than an overtime match. So, you know, you got those challenges. So I think that's that was kind of like – and I, Washington DC was really fun and interesting because like they had rooms that were like just white rooms. And so like you go into like Silver Springs, which is like a suburb just outside of DC, kind of part of DC, whatever, but – um, really, it was just a very, very white mm-hmm. kind of older people, whatever. When I think comedy, I don't really think Washington, D.C. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, most people don't, yeah. but it's got a great scene, like yeah. really, really great scene. I think it's like uh, it's I think one of the best, I think, in the U.S. Oh. I mean like people think like New York, L.A., but then I think like D.C. is like in like the next tier mm. with like Boston and Chicago. I mean that's how – I mean again, I haven't been there for like, you know, almost 10 years so things could have changed but um, – Great, a lot of great, and a lot of great comedians coming out of mm. DC for sure. Heaps of great comedians coming out of DC, and I've been following them on on the social since I've been um, back here, and um, it's really exciting to see what they're doing. Because I'm like, oh, I used to do like gigs, yeah, shitty, shitty gigs with these guys, yeah. and now they're like huge. Um, so yeah, and that was the, that was a good thing about DC is I got to experience a lot of different rooms, white rooms, black rooms, a lot of diversity. And it forces you to, um, yeah, learn how to deal with mm. rough crowds or just like quiet crowds, and a very and like also audiences mm. are super diverse. You know, there's so much more diversity in, I think, like America in terms of like just the population compared to Australia. So or at least in major cities. So um, that was that was really interesting. Mm. And um, so I think that's kind of where I started doing comedy. Um, my biggest bomb, I mean, it was on the first ever cruise I did. Um, Oh, I've never bombed so hard in my life. <laughs> Please explain. So this was like, you know, I'd only been doing like, this was like 2017. It was right before, so I got diagnosed with cancer. So I was like, it was a rough, you know, few weeks. But because um, I'd just up until that point just been doing like mostly just like Melbourne. Um, so all of my jokes were written for like, 
you know, Melbourne audiences. Mm-hmm. This is my first time I've been exposed to like a cross-section of the population. God, I bombed so hard. <laughs> so hard. I had to do five shows. I had no – five 30-minute shows. I had zero material appropriate for these crowds. You know, like um, I was trying to do like Jewish material and they were like, what's a Jew? Like, what are you talking about? You know, like, you know, then I realized, oh, shit, like people outside of Melbourne and Sydney actually don't have any yeah. understanding or haven't met any Jews and don't really have an understanding of Jewish culture. So I was like, what am I? And so I bombed so hard. And when you bomb on a cruise ship, that's a real special type of bomb because you got to. You gotta go to breakfast and have breakfast with them the next day. You, like you gotta spend another week with them. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I was like at the gym the next day, and this guy just comes after me. And I was like, oh, rough show last. Night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, oh, yeah, man. that was a not bombing on a cruise ship. That's, uh, That's a real trip. I think every comedian needs to bomb on a cruise ship. It really forces you to just reflect on yeah. all your choices. Um, what is Jewish culture like? How would you explain it to uh, an outsider? What's Jewish culture like? I think it's um, – firstly, I mean, I love being Jewish. I love the culture. I love the community. Um, I think that it, it's hard to kind of like say what's Jewish culture like because there's actually so many different types of like Jewish communities, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, there's like ultra-religious communities that are very like insular and, um, you know, kind of keep to themselves quite a bit and, and then there's more secular communities like the one that I'm in which is where I, I don't – you know, you wouldn't even know that I'm Jewish. Stuff like I talk about it fucking twenty four seven. But, um, you know, but it's it's a it's a very like I think Jews like to look out for each other. We're very like supportive of each other. Um, there's certainly like this um, expectation of success in the Jewish community. Like mm-hmm. there's this emphasis on education, on emphasis on hard work. It's a very Jewish thing. I think particularly if you you know if your ancestors, if your grandparents were Holocaust survivors, which is what mine were. There's this real big emphasis on like work hard, build up something, mm-hmm. be, you know, be independent mm-hmm. and um, be self-sufficient and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of how I would describe the culture of the Jewish community, one that really, um, re- you know, almost demands success mm-hmm. and, and demands uh, hard work mm-hmm. and sacrifice and... Uh, where there's a lot of expectation on people, which I think is really good overall. It can be quite, you know, damaging and destructive for some people. But I think for me it kind of um, pushed me to just be the best that I could be in in everything I was doing. Did your parents, maybe people from your community or your friends, try to talk you out of comedy, being a comedian? Um, Not really, surprisingly. I I think it's just because, like, I'd I'd done well – at school and, um, you know, I I also had then done, done well at university and I think people were like, okay, well, if he wants to do comedy, mm. then I imagine he'll just apply the same work ethic Ethics. and whatever mm. to comedy and then, you know, presumably we'll, mm. we'll do well in that too. So I think I just had like a track record of like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to fuck around. Like I'm going to actually like work, work yeah. hard and have a real crack at it. It wasn't like... Oh, I'm just dabbling this and see how mm. it goes. I was like, well, let's just do this mm. fully. So I think because that was my approach then, I didn't get too many people like doubting it. Mm. People were like, okay, well, you know, obviously he'll be shit for a bit because mm. everyone's shit at the start, but, you know, he'll figure it out. He's, cl- you know, and so I think I had a, I, I was lucky enough that I had that kind of uh, trust, I think, from, from my family and, and friends and stuff, yeah. While you were doing your law degree, what was that one leap of faith moment that you took your trajectory to comedy? 
Leap of faith. I mean, it's less a leap of faith and more just like tremendous fear of like being trapped in a mm, yes. career that mm. I, I I knew I, I didn't want. So I think it's less about the courage and more about just like uh, crippling fear that drove me to yeah. to try to escape. I think Bill, like Bill Burr, just fuck, he nailed. The, I can't remember exactly what he said, but the people asked him about like it must be a huge risk like pursuing comedy, and he's like. Well, isn't it a big risk to? Isn't it a bigger risk to mm. just pursue a safe career and hope that in twenty years' time you're like happy and content? Yeah. Like that's so much more risky than just doing the thing that you enjoy doing now. Um, and I think that's very true. That um, you know people like will often choose like the safe, um, comfortable. Mm. You know, make the safe, comfortable choice. And then hope that sometime down the track that be, it, there will be yeah, a sense of contentment and satisfaction. Yeah. Like that's a huge gamble, <laughs> yeah. huge gamble. So, and oh, I mean, I don't know any many people who are like, yeah, I could have, I could have pursued this, but I chose the safe thing, and mm. I have no regrets. I, I think a lot of people have those regrets, and um, so I, I think that I, I've always been terrified of like you know regret, and that's probably the main thing that if I didn't try it, I'd just hate myself and be consumed with regret. Mm. So, yeah, it's less a leap of faith and more just like tremendous fear of um, of how I would feel in years from now if I felt like it had passed me by yeah. and I had an If you didn't shot. try, yeah. Yeah, exactly. and that's like, and honestly, like when I got cancer, I was like, oh, fuck, thank God I had a crack at comedy because like imagine if I, imagine yeah. if I died uh, and I was a lawyer. Yeah, like, yeah. That would be fucking, imagine yeah. like doing the safe choice, becoming a lawyer, and then dying. Like, and fuck, then, that's oh, grim shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. ugh. And if you are a lawyer listening, I'm not saying you should die. I'm just saying <laughs> if you did, no one would mind. But my point is <laughs> comedy. It's a comedy show. Um, look, that's, my, that's my point. And I think I, Jim Carrey had a really fascinating story about that because Jim Carrey talked about how his father was like super, super funny and like yeah. very talented and mm. all that kind of stuff. And then his father... But his father chose to become an accountant because, yeah. like, he didn't see how he could form a career in, in the arts and in, in the entertainment industry. And then his father died kind of young as well, I think. Maybe it was like a heart attack mm. or something. Mm. And Jim Carrey was like, holy shit, like, if, well, if you can die anyway from doing the safe thing, why don't I just <laughs> do the, yeah. the thing that I want to do and, and be an entertainer? And which I think is, uh, yeah, I guess uh, that's interesting. Yeah, if you are going to die anyway. That's interesting if you ask people, like, if you're going to die in the next 12 months, like, what would you change in your life? Mm. Fascinating question to ask people. Like, well, I've had to, I've been given that question, yeah. you know, and I didn't change anything, which I think is a good sign. Wow. So, yeah, it's always a good question to ask. Like, if you're going to die in 12 months, what would you, people are like, what would you do with your last day? Well, you just fucking do drugs. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to die, let's just, <laughs> let's smash out some heroin on the way out. Like, I'm going to die anyway. Let's have fun. Yeah. So that's why I think, like, like you'll live every day like it's your last is stupid but i think you should live every year like it's your last because like you can probably do things in a year i think mm. that's an interesting thing to think about what would you say to those young comedians who do come to you for advice and say well i can't make that tr uh, transition fully to comedy what would you say to them well i mean for some people they can't i mean i'm not saying that everyone can, can do, do it i mean some people have financial pressures or or whatever it is that affords them from that stops them from doing it. When I say like fully commit, I mean like when you can when you can do it, you do it. Mm. So, you know, you don't have to like quit your job and do comedy full. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is like 
okay, like how much time do you have in yeah. your day? Like you can still work nine till five yeah. and still do comedy. It's because hard. If, yeah, if, it is. if that nine to five feeds what you love doing on the side, then there's nothing wrong with having a nine to five at all. 100%, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And hopefully you keep, you know, you get good enough for the thing you love to the point where you don't have to work. Yeah. No, you can cut, you don't have to work five days where you can go back to four and exactly, three and two yeah. and one and then hopefully you're just doing the thing you love. I mean... Yeah, I mean, don't. I'm not saying like quit your day job and fucking be a destitute yeah, yeah, artist because yeah. I think that's grim stuff as well. It's what just I'm getting to that is, threshold where you can yeah. start to make money from it is when you can sort of comfortably. Oh yeah, set, sure, that, and that takes a very, very long time. Yeah. But I, when I say commit to, I mean like fucking like go out, you do your yeah. gigs, you record them, you listen back to them, you're writing constantly. You know, I feel like. It's just all, yeah. I just feel like you see like new comedians and like they do the same five minutes for like yeah. three years. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? They never Why? fully emerge into the the whole the whole thing, the whole craft, I suppose. They never well, fully emerge into it. They're just sort of, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do this for, you know, a couple of hours a, a week and, and that's enough. But Yeah, it's not, it's not something you yeah. can just do a couple of hours a week. Exactly, like you've got to just yeah. be, like I think about comedy all, all the time. I, all the yeah. time. Like, I'm just mm. always thinking, okay, I'm trying to think of an idea. I'm trying to think of something that I could make for my yeah. podcast, something I could make for a video on the internet, something I could try and stand up tonight. Yeah. Like, I just, it's all consuming. And yeah, and that doesn't mean you can't have a, a job and a relationship and other things as well. But yeah. if it's not consuming your life, you're not going to, mm. you're not going to do well at it. Mm. Do you think you can teach someone to be funny? No. No, really? <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. People Either are not, you are or you're not. Yeah. Well, I think that you have to have some innate, inherent, mm. um, you know, talent for it. Mm. You can certainly learn like some things about the craft. So you can learn about joke writing and the, mm. those types of fundamentals. But I don't think you can take someone who's not funny and make them funny, like good at stand-up. I don't yeah. think that's doable. No. Mm. So that's like, you know, you see those comedy courses. And it's like, well, this is, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a comedy course to people. The only good thing about <laughs> I, did a, I did a comedy course in Canberra yeah, years ago. Well, how was yeah. it? Da- Daniel Connell was one of the instructors that came in one week. Daniel Connell, that <laughs> yeah. fucking charlatan, that fucking scam artist. That I actually, Connor. it helped me actually. It helped me get comfortable. Can I with, say, with Dan Connell would actually be yeah. one of the very few people I'd be like, okay, he yeah. could actually teach comedy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's, um, he thinks about his comedy. He's so, he yeah. pr- presents, he writes. He, yeah. He's so, and so did you find it helpful? Yeah, I found it helpful because I'm quite a nervous person to begin with. So I, it sort of helped me a lot to actually, um, let go when, when I go on stage to that's, let go yeah. of the stage fright. That's the only good thing. That's yeah. the one thing you can get out of a comedy course. It, yeah. it can force you just to go on stage. Yeah. It can be like the thing that gets you on stage once and then you kind of hopefully, you know, break the seal, mm. you know, and then you can kind of keep doing it yourself without having to do it in the context of a comedy course. Yeah. That's probably the only good thing you can really get out of it. Mm. But, yeah, you can't learn how to be funny from a comedy course. Yeah. If you have, and also I just feel yeah. like if you want to learn how to be funny, get on stage yeah. and you'll, yeah. that's how you Put learn. Put yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you need yeah. a, you need the crowd to tell you whether or not it's funny or not. Yeah. Um, Dan, I think we should wrap this up. Yeah. It's been awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming in today. I know I've been annoying you so long to come on, but I know I've been annoying you back by saying, sorry, I'm out of town. Um, (laughs) So I'm glad this worked out. 
Um, yeah, I was actually meant to be in Kansas this weekend, but that we that got rescheduled. So uh, it's very exciting. I'm, I'm so excited yeah. to be in Melbourne for a few days. I'm like, this is great. I've got some things I can do. Well, I found you through uh, Will Anderson's podcast years ago. Will Yeah, and I've been yes. a fan ever since. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's a great podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, listen to that for sure. And um, I think I'm a big fan of Will as well. Uh, I think he's one of the greatest interviewers I've seen. Like, he's very good at interviewing people. But he's also good at pushing out new talent yeah. as mm. well. And I think he did. I think he did that with you because I didn't know who you were until you were on Will's podcast. Oh, he's I've just uh, been a fan since. Yeah, he's one of the. Um, he really is tr- giving back to I think the comedy community. Mm. Like, mm. I think that. Yeah, on his podcast, he has people who are like not famous, but yeah. you know, like good young comics coming up, yeah. and he gives them a platform. And you know, he's got this show on the ABC question everything, which is like he's clearly trying really hard to get yeah. new people on the show, which is great. Um, yeah, I've I've got a huge. I mean, I've got. And when you say he's a good interviewer, like that was the first time I met him. I think mm. we like kind of maybe spoken very passingly, but that's the first time I met him. And then like as soon as I sat down, I was like, I never felt I was like so comfortable, comfortable with, with him. Guy. Yes, and I and, yeah. and like I would normally be very intimidated by a guy of that stature. Wow. But um, yeah, he was just like very, very chill, good. very relaxed, and I just felt really relaxed. And we, I think we spoke for like almost three hours or something. Wow. Um, it was a long chat, and um, yeah, it just anyway. My point is, yeah, you're right. He really, and he, I was like, I was saying shit. I was like, holy, shit, I don't think I've said anything yeah. to anyone before. Yeah. Like, so yeah, he's really, really good at um, asking the right questions, making people comfortable. So yeah, it's a great podcast, man. Thank you so much for being here and, and being a part of ours. Yeah, being a part of this, a and pleasure. we wish you all the very best for London. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It was awesome, Chad. Let's wrap this up, guys. Thank you. Thank you.